0: All right, how many of you have had to quarantine at all over the last two years? You just had to quarantine, okay? Maybe you don't want to say that. (laughs) I had to, but I didn't want to tell anybody. Okay, Um, that's not fun, right? Having to sequester yourself from social interaction. Um, Nobody likes to be the the one by themselves and, and kind of forced to be by themselves, by mandate. Uh, boy, that's, that's frustrating. Uh, it can be a little bit of a mental barrier. You can become depressed, discouraged. Well, what if you today came down with something that was terminal, an illness that was terminal, and the nature of it was such that All of society was so fearful of that spreading to the rest of society that they said, you have to be by yourself. You have to cut yourself off from your work, from your family, from everything. You have to be completely by yourself. We will give you a spot, and you just have to try to survive. We'll leave food here when we remember you. If anyone comes near you, you have to cry out, Stay away! I am unclean! I am unclean! I am unclean! And it's not just for 10 days, 14 days, 2 weeks, a month, 2 months, people start forgetting about you. And here you are by yourself, whenever anyone comes near you, you have to scream, unclean. The disease begins to attack your body. You, You become... Um, not just someone who's feared, but someone who looks fearful. Um, You are malnourished. You have no clear thinking. And that stretches into years to where you are, you're an outcast. No one will touch you. In Jesus's day, this happened, as you probably know what I'm getting at, with what we would call leprosy. They... The, the term was much broader than, than what is leprosy today. Uh, but this is what would happen someone who was banished from the community to die. And the stigma behind it was worse, because the stigma behind it, especially in that day, was what? It was Miriam. It was that, that she was cursed. It was, God has given you this disease. And so people felt like they were unclean and they would have to shout, unclean, unclean, secluded, no human interaction, no one touching you. Um, I don't know if you can put yourself into that situation in your mind. I'm sure many just died. Um, This is Jesus coming To one such person. While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered in leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus didn't have to do this next thing, but what did he do? Just imagine that, right? You have been away from human interaction for years, and this man is not running away from you. He is coming to you. He's getting closer. and He's not afraid of me. I knew he could help me. He comes closer and closer. And Jesus makes sure to touch him. The one who made the human body. Reaches out to the son of Adam. Who rejects. Adam rejects God's perfect plan. And plunges into the fall bringing about leprosy. And Jesus, Son of God, touches him. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And he says, okay, go obey your Bible. Uh, Show yourself to the priests as a testimony to them that the Son of God is here to reverse this curse. That was a striking scene. That would have, would have spread like wildfire, news like that. And because of that, Jesus would often have to go off into unpopulated. He couldn't come to Queens uh, because it would be such a mad rush that he would be trampled. This is our Lord and his ministry of healing. Um. If we were to, to summarize, I like this summary, summary of your New Testament. Perhaps you're just brand new to the Bible. This would be good a good understanding of your New Testament. If you have your Bible, you can just open up those first four books of your New Testament are called the what? The Gospels. And what are they? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We could say they're the introduction of the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been surveying from Christmas to Easter. We're going to get through looking at all four of those in what we call a harmony of the Gospels. Acts tells the story of how that story spreads the proclamation of the life and ministry of Christ. The epistles work well. You could say the explanation of the life and ministry of Christ. And then Revelation would be the culmination of the life and ministry of Christ. So, that's a nice little outline of your New Testament. And what we're focusing on is that first part, uh, this introduction to the life and ministry of Christ as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John share this story. And and so, we've made it all the way to, to this middle portion, the end of our middle portion, right? We talked about looking at Jesus and his birth and his parents. And then... The forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist. Presentation of Jesus as he's tempted and baptized. And then we looked at the followers and foes of Jesus. These two, E and F, are are kind of the bulk of your your New Testament Gospels. Really, Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John are all about what Jesus, in fact, this comes up often in the Gospel of Mark what Jesus began to do and to teach concerning himself. And so this is what he did, these miraculous signs and wonders. And this is what he did when he taught. These are his teachings. Okay, and so this really, we're taking two weeks on it, but honestly, we could take 20 years on it. Okay, so we're, I'm really trying to be succinct. Um, so we had the teachings of Jesus and now the signs of Jesus, the miraculous signs in this week and next week. Uh, so what I'd like to do is real quickly just go through a, a introduction where we highlight Jesus's miraculous ministry. Okay, um, whereas the teaching ministry I think highlights Jesus as the Son of Man, sharing his message that God has come to Earth and he's he's talking to you. We find Jesus's miraculous ministry highlights Jesus as the Son of God. And often we'll find that they worship him. They fall down and they worship Jesus as he's performing these miracles. It's awesome. Um, Okay, so what I'd like to do is just answer a few quick questions, okay? And I'm really going to try to go through this quickly. I'm going to try to do it in just five minutes. But if you would, hang with me, okay? This is really good for you to understand um, just an overview of all of Jesus' miraculous activity when he was walking here on earth. Okay? So we're going to just answer the who, what, when, where, why. Uh, who? Okay. I forgot about that. Um, I mentioned this last time. The, the, the blue here, uh, this is 120 pages of the Gospels. All right? Just at a glance. You're not supposed to read that. Uh, the green is Jesus' teaching. Uh, the blue would be Jesus' miraculous works. So you can see the biggest chunk of this is uh, his teaching or his, what he began to do and to teach. Who? Who did Jesus perform miraculous works for? This is an interesting idea. Um, well, he, he did this for everyone at times. When there was enough room, uh, Jesus would just come and he would heal the whole city. This is what separates what Jesus did from what you might see on a TV program that's just wanting your money. Uh, I've, I've been to those things. They're, they're fake. Okay? If you can heal everybody, go to the hospital. Do not go to a stadium and ask people to pay 50 bucks to come see you. Okay? I, just, I, I will challenge anyway, if you can do that, God heals people. And we see that on a, really on a weekly basis through our prayer meeting. Um, but what these faith healers do often is, is just totally fake. I see it. I could see him coming from the back. And this is not what Jesus would do. Jesus would come to a region and heal everybody. Now, there were some times, we would say two clarifications. Uh, One is that he healed Jewish and Gentile, which was was astounding for that day. And then also, um, there were times where he would not heal because of what? Anybody know? lack of faith unbelief yeah so at one point he comes to Nazareth and they they had rejected him so he he would not heal he could not heal there because of the lack of faith okay when and where I would say at the beginning of Jesus's ministry it was often in cities small towns but as he continued first year he would have to go to the outer regions as he came to Jerusalem, he would do this as a sign, but he would have to say, don't tell anybody. Or he would have to heal the man at the pool and run. And then the guy's like, I don't know where he is, I just know he healed me. Now, this is where we really need to f- focus in on, the what and the who. Okay, so we have a handout here. Guys, could you pass this out real quick? A couple of folks. All right. All right, so this is, this is a summary of all of the um, miraculous demonstrations that Jesus performed, and we're not going to go through all of it, okay? I, I'm just going to show you what it is and point out a couple things. First of all, remember when we gave out one about Jesus' teaching, how long was it? It was twice as long in a smaller font, um, and even there, what I did is I put all of the teaching that Jesus did in Matthew, and then with Mark, I didn't repeat that. I just picked up all in Matthew, all in Mark that Matthew didn't cover. With this one, it's, it's small enough to where I can actually repeat it. So as you look at the summary of what Jesus did in this first column in Matthew, with Mark, I just repeated it when it was repeated. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, the different occurrences where Jesus does something that we would say is supernatural or miraculous. All right, I think I do have one more here. I'm sorry we ran out. But uh, I, I, I realize like, we don't do a whole lot with paper, so I can, I can email this to you if you'd like. And, and we'll have this all in a, a nice document once it's all done. But a few things I want to point out here. Um, there's only a couple, a couple of Jesus' miraculous supernatural works that are repeated in all four Gospels. Okay? Um, I thought it was interesting that you look on the back. Look at the fourth column over. What is that Gospel? John. John. I really thought, thought that was interesting. Now, I think part of that is from what we learned about, Jesus, about John's... Record of jesus's teaching is that we saw a lot of what he covers is around jerusalem so that would make sense if john really focuses on what jesus is doing in jerusalem um then you know he's not doing as many miraculous things there but john's the one that focuses on jesus's deity uh so it's really interesting that he's able to do that without including as many of these instances of jesus's supernatural works Another thing you'll see as you read through them is that Mark often focuses on Jesus' power over the demonic, spiritual world. um, Whereas John does not do that at all. Uh, But Matthew, Mark, and Luke do a lot of that. Also, you'll see as you read through it, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are fairly parallel. Uh, Luke brings in some accounts that Matthew and Mark don't at all, and really fascinating ones. Um, And then John brings in accounts that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not focus on. That may be because Luke was written you know, after Matthew and Mark, and John definitely was written after all the epistles uh, and all the gospels were written. So he was able to read these and say, okay, you guys forgot so much. <laughs> uh, of course, the Holy Spirit was doing that, right? We know that they didn't forget. Uh, but he was able to fill in a lot of these gaps. Okay, so that, that's, that's about all we want to take from that, and, and you can use that on your own. I will say this, next week, next Sunday, we'll begin because we just don't have enough time for all the introductory stuff. Um, I put stars on here. What I would say are the primary, some of the primary ministry-turning uh, events, miraculous events, that Jesus undertook. And what would be cool is if you were able to, sometime this week, try to put those in chronological order, okay? And then we'll do that together next, next Sunday as we highlight that. So Jesus would, would do all of these types of miraculous works, At the bottom there, you see it organized topically, the bottom of the second page, and this would also be in your notes, um, where where, uh, I organized it into these four big big categories, miraculous anatomy, miraculous physics, miraculous mentality, and miraculous spirituality, okay? So you have these miraculous anatomy, virgin birth, that doesn't happen, healing, And, and that's a portion of it, that's the biggest portion, I would say. Uh, but healing, and sometimes everyone in the town. This is crazy. If Jesus came to Queens, you can just imagine him emptying out Elmhurst Hospital. No one's there. Isn't that awesome? Right? This would be so cool. This is what Jesus does. Um, and, and it's like everybody in the whole, all of Galilee is healed. Uh, and not just the, the, the headaches, <laughs> the things that are so visible, like leprosy blindness, lameness. And then, then these, there's three occurrences, at least, of resurrection, where he raises people from the dead. Uh, and then you have the, the miraculous physics, uh, signs empowered with natural laws, turning water into wine, calming the storm, feeding the thousands, cursing the fig tree, things of that nature. Miraculous mentality, where Jesus is able to know what's in people's minds, Miraculous spirituality, though, is the one that I'd like us to just take a moment with and read one passage. Uh, There there was definitely a focus on Jesus showing, I am not just in charge of your physical illness, I am in charge of your soul. And that this is the most important part of Jesus' power. Where he's able to cast out demons. Where he's transfigured and shown the Shekinah glory of God from his face on the mountain. And then this third one, that he's able to forgive sins. That is what is amazing about Jesus. And so this is so interesting. In Matthew 10, Jesus really teaches his disciples this, and I feel like he has to remind all of us this all the time. Because it's true. As we pray as a church, often God raises people up in such a way that it's supernatural, it's miraculous. It's like God did this, it's so awesome. That we can focus so much on those things that we forget. You know what's so important more than that? Is that this five-year-old child just accepted Jesus as their Savior. That is so much more eternally important than someone, and I hate to say this, but a terminal illness being healed. Because this is a spiritually terminal illness forever. And so Jesus corrected them repeatedly about this. Luke 10, the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, You give us this authority, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus says, listen, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I have given you authority to tread on serpents, on scorpions, over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. That you are right with God. That is the amazing ministry that Jesus undertook. That he was able to bring forgiveness of sins to us. When Jesus healed uh, the paralytic man, this is in Mark, the scribes and Pharisees are sitting there and they're wondering what he's going to do. And Jesus says, What? Your sins be forgiven you. Because he wanted them to make, make sure that, that they knew that not only could he heal, but he could forgive sins. That's something only God can do. Okay, we're, we need to, I'm just going to just fly through this. Why? Um, to show his compassion. And we're going to see that in just a moment, but that's important. To show his power to forgive sins. To show the glory of God. This is a repeated theme. Uh, this is one we'll see next week. A very important part of Jesus's miraculous ministry was to fill the Old Testament prophecies and say Jesus is Messiah. To demonstrate Jesus's authority over the spirit world. And this one keeps coming up. If you're to read through all of these this week, you would say, wow, he really wanted to make sure this is clear to show that he has authority on the Sabbath. He's going to keep healing on the Sabbath to show that he's the one that's actually the one who has authority, the word himself. And this was great. And I'll just end with this before we look at one of these occurrences. Okay, we're going to look at one of them together. Uh, He did this to inspire worship, to inspire worship. Here's one occurrence Jesus heals the blind man and says to him, you have both seen him, the one who healed your eyes, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe he's the Messiah, son of God. He believes and he worships him. And so Jesus is instilling worship in his followers through doing these miraculous things that only God can do. And I put some, if you're taking notes there, I put some other references there. This is just a sampling, but this is all over the Gospels, mostly in the Gospel of John, as John focuses on Jesus as the Son of God. Um, But this would also be in all these other areas where people, uh, Thomas falls down and says, my Lord and my God, as he worships Jesus uh, for his power in the resurrection. Okay, so you look at this here. Uh, Let me just ask, okay, we're all friends. Which one, which one of these, right? You have all these different healings and all these different miraculous events. Which one or two of these do you think were mentioned in each of the Gospels? Anyone want to take a step out and fall? Take a step out and and, and stab at it? Resurrection. Resurrection is one of them. Good. I have a $5 bill that Brendan will give you. No. Okay, which, I'm saying which miraculous event? Yes, healing would come up in all of them. Feeding the, feeding, the feeding of the thousands. And the walking of the water paired with that. Outside of, of the, the Passion Week, that's, that is the event. And then there's one other one. One of them is at his climax, and the other one is at his... of his lowest point blind who said good the one is at his climax of reception in fact after it they want to take him and make him king and then the other one is healing the blind man near jerusalem and that is a sign to jerusalem that your messiah has come and they're ready to kill him because of it now it brings the triumphal entry but then the next day they're ready to kill him Uh, so those are the two ones and so this week we're going to look at that first one the feeding of the thousands, and then next week we're going to look at the healing of the blind man, and we're just going to walk through that text together to help us understand Jesus' power and his ability to heal, to do the supernatural. And of course, this is what's going to be calming to us during times where the ocean is, is uncalm, to have our, our calm spirit in the person of Christ. Okay, so next week, we will actually look at a few of these in their time period. Right now, I'm just going to do the one. Jesus feeds the 5,000 there in the spring of 29 AD. So this would be a year before his death, a year before his crucifixion. We find Jesus feeds the 5,000. All right, so let's walk through that together, um, if we could. And you see that in your notes. Uh, First of all, this, this mountain healing service. In Matthew 15, uh, verses 29 to 31, uh, just a, a fascinating, fascinating thing. Let's try to picture it for a second, okay? Let's try to let's try to join them uh, in this little, little uh, special time with Jesus. Look at the setting in verse 29. Uh, verse 29. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, having gone up. He was doing what? He was just sitting there. All right, so, so Jesus has already had a very busy time. This is probably, uh, he spent some months up in Tyre and Sidon area north of Israel. Um, and he's, he's done miraculous works there. Um, this is right after feeding thousands again. Uh, and, and so he's fed thousands. He's gone up for a couple months and, and everybody's wondering where he is, because it, it's getting around that this guy heals everybody. And now he's gone, and they're wondering where he is. And so he gets back. So this is when he just comes back to the area of the Sea of Galilee. And we see Jesus resting there on top of a mountain. And Jesus loved to pray in the mountains. I love the mountains. It's just so nice. Uh, the calm air, uh, we have that in the Bronx. Uh, that's where our mountains are. And you go up to like this. there's really cool. It's, it, this is some pretty steep... We have right forest hills. So we have some hills here. You go to the forest park there. You can actually walk through that park and you feel like you're in the mountains. It's kind of nice. So you hear the sirens. Um, but you can enjoy a nice walk there. And this is what Jesus would enjoy doing. Just taking a rest. Sitting down on a log... Hearing the birds, this is the spring. It's like today. You've been through the winter, and today's like 60, and, and the rain's stopping, and it's just, oh, this is great. I can, I'm ready for spring. And Jesus sits down. Um, he has had a very busy ministry. Uh, he sits down, and he's ready to, 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 to take off his burden. Uh, and then someone spots him. <laughs> oh, boy. No more resting. One, two, the word spreads very quickly, and by the afternoon, it's just this mountain is filling up. All throughout Galilee, the news is spreading that Jesus has come back. Hospitals, again, empty, as it were. And, and the serene mountaintop is now packed with the poor, the lame Those who can't control themselves because of demon possession. Matthew describes it this way. Look at Matthew's description here. Um, Large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. Heals and heals and heals and heals. The crowd marveled. As they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking in front of them. This guy came carried and now he's walking. The blind seeing and they glorified the God of Israel. This is the reason Jesus does this. This response in verse 31. Um, They are glorifying God. The creator of heaven and earth has control over this sickness. Has control over I mean, just my wife has been lame for five years. Or my dad no longer was able to, to work and earn a living in this, this manual labor society. And our family has been dirt poor begging for the last 10 years. And we hear about this Jesus, and our whole lives are changed because now he's jumping. The leprous healed, the worst of conditions healed. This is an amazing account. All the maladies are no match. And so the five, the ten, the twenty, the hundred, the two hundred turns into a mountain full of thousands. So you can imagine yourself there in Forest Park and everybody's coming from Queens and now it's, it's like this is out of hand. I mean this isn't just five, ten, this is, now there are ten. Fifteen thousand people. Five thousand? Ten thousand? This is just huge. Ah uh, What a scene. And they are all glorifying God. What's fascinating here is we pick up in the next phrase is how long has this been going on? Days. They're camping out there. They, they won't leave Jesus alone. And more come and more come. For three days, this crowd has grown. I don't know how many people are in that region. But now you have thousands of people here. And that brings another problem. Um, they have no food. And, and so Jesus, uh, Jesus sees that. And this is what's touching. Uh, often, we find Jesus' purpose for his healing, are to bring glory to God and point to his miraculous ministry. But sometimes his motive is different. Jesus called his disciples to him in verse 32 and said what? What is his motive for feeding? I feel compassion for the people because they've been with me for three days now. And maybe they they came with some food or maybe some people were able to go to a village nearby and bring back some food. But at this point, they are spent. And they don't want to leave. Can you imagine being so hungry? Knowing that all you have to do is walk for another five hours and you're fine. But you're okay with just staying. Because you are so drawn to this figure. That's what's going on. No one will leave. They've been with me now for three days and Jesus is just... He loves them. He's ministered to them, and the, and the word is, is has reference to your innards. He's feeling inside for them. You know how that is when when you see a story. I mean, there's just so many stories like this, and your just heart your your heart wrenches inside. That's what Jesus is feeling. He's feeling compassion for them because these children are hungry, because he's healed them, but now they're hungry. He cares for them. I think this is, this is so important for us to recognize. I realize that, that we're just surveying this quickly. But we just have to understand this about the heart of our Savior. He, he sees and he cares. It's not just that he's saying, look at how great I am. He's doing that because if he doesn't, he's, he's, it's idolatry. <laughs> but he's also saying, I, I care about this one. And his heart is stirred. He's emotionally involved. He has compassion for them. He cares for them. I don't know what you're you're going through today. Um, But Jesus, Jesus still empathizes. He feels with us in our infirmities. He is not like a high priest who cannot be touched. He is touched by your grief. When you are hungry... When you are sick, when you are pained, when you are discouraged, when you are concerned about the world events, or maybe that doesn't bother you at all, but you're concerned about your electric bill or that estranged family member, right? These pains are all like this hunger pain. And you kind of wonder does, like, we're tempted to think, who cares about me in this? Like, nobody knows about this. I just want to make sure you know that Jesus knows. He knows, and he not only knows, he cares. He cares in an emotional way. He is still human, and he is touched by that grief. He feels with you. And so you cannot listen to the lie of your flesh or the devil that Jesus doesn't care or no one cares. No one knows what I'm going through. Yes, yes. He does. More than you know, He knows what's going on in your life, all the ins and outs, all the pressures, all the pains, and He cares about it. I love that poem Does Jesus Care When My Heart Is Pained Too Deeply For Mirth and Song? When the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? What does the chorus say? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. That's what the, the songwriter's getting at. His heart is touched with your grief. You are never alone in your sorrow. He goes to the leper. From here he goes to the, the demon-possessed man who's living all by himself. Perhaps there's two of them. And he heals that one from these thousands. His heart is touched with your grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Jesus cares and he's like, we got to do something about this. All right. So Christ's motive for feeding is compassion. Now we look at the disciples exercise of faith. He's already done this, and they were a little bit unbelieving, and he got on them for it. Now, how will they respond? Well, look at this. Uh, Jesus steps in, and the disciples are required to exercise faith. Verses 33 and 30 through 36. The disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? How much do you have? All right, I think Thomas the doubter has already left the conversation. I don't know. Maybe you've already left the conversation. Jesus is, he's done this before, guys. Um, and, and And he says, okay, how much do you have? Well, we have seven few small fish. What's that among these thousands, thousands around us? And then, and then you just see Jesus, he has a booming voice. There's no microphone. Thousands of people making all this commotion. Just hear him sit down. <laughs> it reverberates all across the mountain. And people just start sitting down, organizing themselves, 50s perhaps. And then he says to the disciples, Come up, bring, bring, bring your food. And I, I don't know, put yourself there. Here you are, these 12 and you have thousands, and you know what Jesus has. What does he have? He's got this much food. All right. I don't know if you're the one that's going to be up front saying, okay, yeah, I'm ready to distribute. They have to come up front and start receiving from Jesus. He directs all the people to sit on the ground. He took the seven loaves, the fish, and he gives thanks. Probably the same exact Hebrew blessing that Blessed are you, Lord God of King of the Universe, uh, that they are saying even to this day. um, He gives the blessing and he starts feeding. Right? Uh, I don't have a good bread. I I do have a little cookie here. And you just imagine—I'm sure it tasted better than that. But here you go. You start start breaking. You're one of the guys in front. You take this, and he keeps breaking and he keeps breaking, and he keeps breaking. I mean, you're way up in the balcony. like You're on top of that ladder outside the balcony. You're, way, you're across the street, and you're watching this. There's no way he's gonna have enough for me. And he keeps breaking, and he keeps breaking. I hope there's enough for me. I'm sure it tasted better than Chips Ahoy. And they start giving and giving and giving and giving and this person this and then then the 12 go it probably takes hours they just know once that starts they just know something super special is happening we are seeing yahweh provide bread from heaven in the wilderness who is it who goes to heaven and comes down but the son of man who provides manna from heaven God Himself. And Jesus is saying, I am the one who satisfies all your needs, all your desires. Sit and be filled. And they sit quietly for the hours as the bread is passed, as the fish is passed. And they eat. And they feast. Look at Christ's miraculous provision. They all eat and were what? Satisfied. And this is what Jesus does. He satisfies us to overflowing. They pick up baskets full. The previous account, it's what's called a small basket. This is, I mean, we're talking big old baskets full. This is what Jesus does for you. He fills your soul to satisfying and overflows it. And that's his message to Israel. Receive me. That's his message to you receive me you don't need that security it's not bad to have you don't need that relationship it's not bad to have you don't need that healing it's not bad to have you don't need absence of that problem it's not bad to ask what do you need you need Jesus you need him with you You need Him feeding you from His hand. And that's the bread of heaven that's come down that will satisfy the soul. And so I cry out, come and eat. Come and partake. Come and dine. Dine of Christ. psalmist is able to say, you put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lay me down and sleep. For you, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so Jesus calls us to a boat that is overflowing with water. And he calls us sometimes to step out. He doesn't still the storm all the time. Sometimes he wants you to walk on water. And you know what? That's more miraculous than him stilling the storm. But when you're in it, and maybe you're in it today, it's tempting to say, but look at all the waves!" But we need to look at Jesus. And so the Lord today, once again, cries out to you in the cacophony of all the noise and the news and the headlines and the messages and the sorrow and the pressure. And he says, eat of me, be satisfied. Find in him this relationship, this satisfaction that is all of those things. And in just a short time, it becomes a reality when he comes again. And this is what this is all about. All his healing is showing that he is going to make it all well. It's showing that he can. And by his resurrection, he's going to get us back to the point as humans, humanity, that we will be able to have no more sickness, no more pain, no more hunger, no more war. All the implements that were... Were made for war will be transformed to to make for human flourishing nuclear armaments will be power plants that's when the sword becomes the plowshare jesus is going to bring that about but until he does we can rest even in the boat going up and down and say lord feed me And so he calls them all to partake. And it's shortly after this that that message he says, eat of me, receive this message is what he's saying. "I, I am the bread of life from heaven. Receive me, follow me, believe me. And they're left with receiving Jesus and believing him or rejecting him. And even after this, you know what they do? They reject him. The bread of life discourse is when people leave him. Some of them believe him unto eternal life and many of them leave him. And so I'm just going to ask you, are you going to receive him today, believe him, follow him, rest in him? Or are you going to continue to rest in yourself and try to make it work for yourself? It's up to you. And with this, be done, this quick story here. Gulshan Esther just recently passed away, but... Um, She tells her story in Beyond the Veil. She was raised in a very strict, wealthy, Muslim home, dedicated to her family, her faith, but she was lame. Her father went to great expenses to get the greatest treatment. Europe, Middle East, still no improvement. It got worse. Her condition worsened. So she became very religious. Her parents became very religious. Good deeds, prayers, trips to sacred shrines. All of these different things to find healing. No avail. Years of prayer. Trips to Mecca, Medina. Continually giving. Praying five times a day. Her father dies. She begins to lose hope. And She's reading the Quran. She reads this section about Jesus. And it says Jesus is a... Anyone know? A healer. And she's like, okay. Of course, Islam has a very wrong view of, of Jesus. But that's one thing it says. Um, she reads this passage and she believes in Jesus. And she starts praying for Jesus to heal her. Starts praying every day. And one night she's healed. Jesus healed her. And she knows it. And she starts telling her ultra Muslim family that Jesus, Jesus healed me. I got to tell everybody, Jesus healed me. She wouldn't silence. Her family gathered together and had a family tribunal. We've gathered the heads of the family to persuade you to give up these ideas of Jesus. Jesus. We accept that he healed you, but it doesn't look good for a Muslim family if you keep talking about it. Aren't you pleased that I'm healed? Yes. But you can't go around saying Jesus healed you. For the sake of Islam, we can murder you, her brother said. And so she felt a distancing between her and her family. And she was, she was left with a choice. Do I follow Jesus or do I follow this pressure from my family? And she would not go back. Uh, God led her to a Bible. Uh, God led her to a church. She was baptized. And she continued unashamed of her faith. It cost her everything. Her family put her in prison. Um, But she continued to believe until her dying day. Times the Lord Lord does this in such an unusual way to demonstrate his glory. Um, And it's all to do with Exactly this, to point us to Jesus. It's not to point us to any human, it's to point us to Jesus. And that day when Jesus healed so many, fed so many, a big chunk of them left unbelieving, the Pharisees, the next paragraphs, are arguing with Jesus. Peter says, we're going to continue to follow you because we we can find no other words of life. Heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you today, uh, will you continue to follow Jesus? He is the bread of life, come from heaven. If there's something in your life that you need to turn over to him, please do that. Uh, Please rest in his care today. Uh, Please find in him sustaining grace. But if you've never believed in him, let me encourage you to do that now. Trust in him as your Savior and Lord. That means receiving this message that Jesus is Son of God, Savior of the world. That is That is taking this bread, ingesting this message, uh, and following him. I'll be standing in the back lobby, happy to pray with you in a moment. Pastor Andrew will close us in prayer. Let's continue to believe in him, not just for salvation, but for every day's provision. Let's pray.